There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Fun Factory, written and read by Chris England. Chapter 10, A Fresh Start. I passed a thoroughly miserable weekend, spending far too much of my boat ticket refund on drink, cursing myself for not thinking, for presuming that Tilly and the baby would just be here, waiting patiently for me. I felt guilty, too, for dragging Stan and Freddy all the way to Seattle, but they were relatively sanguine about how things were turning out, and tried to make me feel better. "'We can still go to Considine with the nutty burglars idea,' Stan said with his usual cheerful enthusiasm. "'As a three-hander, you mean?' Freddy frowned. Maybe, but the flirting between the maid and the burglar is the main source of the comedy, so perhaps we just need to find ourselves a girl. Vaudeville actresses are not exactly in short supply. Considine might even know someone who would do, and he might enjoy making suggestions, you know, which might even help him go for the idea. If he was anything like my old man, that'd certainly perk him up, Freddy grinned. So come on, Arthur, cheer up. All is not lost. Stan was right, of course. All was not lost. It just felt like it. First thing Monday morning, we presented ourselves at Considine's head office in Seattle. Even though it was early, there was already a crowd of hopefuls waiting in a reception area, as there had been back in the Chicago office. All kinds of turns, some in their on-stage costumes as though they'd headed there straight from last night's performance, along with a handful of fellows in mufti who I took to be agents representing them, and joining them pounding the pavements. I felt a shudder pass down my spine at this glimpse of what the future held, or perhaps it was a residual effect of the weekend's drinking. There were no chairs left unoccupied, and Stan and Freddy began to tuck themselves into a corner by a hat-stand, with a very British readiness to queue for as long as it would take to be seen, but I was in no mood to hang about. "'Come on,' I said, stepping over outstretched feet and ignoring grumbles of discontent, heading for the entrance to the offices themselves. "'Excuse me. Personal friends of Mr. Considine. Thank you. Excuse me.' We passed into a large open room, with a receptionist sitting at a desk. Behind her, there were maps pinned to the walls, as there had been in Chicago, but here at Considine's headquarters, it seemed that activities were at least double those of the subsidiary office. Lists of acts were pinned up alongside the maps, and coloured strings attached to pins linked the turns to the venues they were performing at. It had the look of a military operation somehow, as though all these West Coast cities were about to be invaded and conquered. The receptionist blinked at us, and started to insist that we wait outside to be called, but I cut her off. Please tell Mr. Considine that his personal friends, Mr. Dando, Mr. Jefferson and Mr. Carno Jr. are here to see him on a matter of some urgency. The girl blinked at us again and then hustled to her feet. Mr. Dandy, quick as you can, there's a good girl, I said firmly, and the receptionist crossed the office and disappeared down a corridor. Very assertive, Stan muttered approvingly. Well, I said with a grin, we're busy men, haven't got all day. Hey, look at this, Freddy suddenly said. He was peering with amazement at the pinboards covering the walls from floor to ceiling, and something had caught his eye. He reached out and unpinned an envelope, handing it to me. I took it from him, wondering why on earth he would have done this, when I suddenly realised that it had my name written on it in a curly hand. 
The receptionist returned then, preceded by a plump little chap who was rather indignantly jamming a pork pie hat onto his head, having clearly been given the bum's rush. "'This way, please, gentlemen,' she smiled, and led us along to Considine's lair. The big entrepreneur was pleased to see us, and shook our hands vigorously with his own chunky items. "'Boys!' he beamed. "'How great to see ya! Hey, still got the old cowboy chapeau, I see!' Freddy did indeed still have his boss of the plains, a gift from our host, and he hung it on the hat stand behind the door. "'Have a seat! Have a seat! And tell me what I can do for you, fellas!' Considine whisked a couple of additional chairs over to his desk, and the three of us sat ourselves down. "'Now, you haven't come to beg me to change my mind about booking the Carno tour, have you? Because I have to say, and you can tell your father this, that I have already made other arrangements.' "'No, no,' Stan said, holding his hands up. "'We're no longer employed by Freddy's father. "'In fact, the rest of the company should be on board a ship, "'heading back to England by now. "'We've come to Seattle to try our luck. "'And as we have a little... history, do we not?' "'Good old Stan,' I thought, "'reminding Considine of the big favour he owed us "'after we'd sabotaged Alexander Pantage's "'grand opening night in Winnipeg for him. "'We thought we would offer you the opportunity "'to be the first to book our new act.' Considine sat back in his chair and locked his fingers behind his big square head. "'I'm listening.' Stan began to explain how the nutty burglars would play, and his enthusiasm brought it to life. Indeed, it sounded as though Stan had done a lot more working out in his head than Freddy and I had managed to contribute, so we just sat back and left him to it. As he described the various bits of business he'd come up with, I fingered the envelope that had been pinned to the wall in the larger office. Finally, my curiosity got the better of me, and I slipped a forefinger under the flap and quietly slit it open. "'Sounds grand!' Considine cried, chuckling away. "'So it's the three of you, and and who? Who's the girl?' "'Well,' Stan said, "'we were rather wondering whether you yourself might have a sig- "'Tilly Beckett!' I blurted out suddenly. "'She was with us in Chaplin's Carno Company. You remember her? Blonde hair, green eyes?' "'Oh, yes,' Considine mused. "'She was quite a catch, as I recall.' She was, I agreed. She is. I just need a couple of days to fetch her, and we'll be ready to go. Stan and Freddy were staring at me, questions in their eyes, as Considine leaned forward. All right, fellas, here's what I can do for you. I can squeeze your nutty burglars onto my bills, starting in a couple of weeks from now. It'll just be supporting, of course, in the smaller houses, and it won't be carno money. But if it plays, and it sure as hell sounds like it should, then maybe we'll be able to move you up. Will that suit? We all got to our feet and pumped his hand gratefully, and shortly after that we spilled into a neighbouring bar, a newly formed vaudeville act. "'It's amazing good fortune, really,' Freddy said, still scratching his head. "'He's taken us on without even seeing the sketch.' "'I haven't even seen it yet,' I said, "'and I'm in the bloody thing.' "'So you have something? Some hold over Considine, is that it?' "'We did him a good turn, that's all,' I said. "'But what's this about Tilly?' Stan asked. "'I thought you didn't know where she was.' "'I didn't,' I said.' But she sent me this letter, care of Considine's office, because, well, I guess we were moving around so much she didn't know how best to get in touch with me. She says she's going to Vancouver with Mike Asher and his wife to run a burlesque house up there. I just need to go and bring her back. You sure she'll come? Stan frowned. Sounds like they might have a good thing going. Oh, she'll come, I said confidently, as we clinked our glasses together. And the nutty burglars will be the hottest thing in vaudeville in no time. My bullishness dwindled somewhat as I rode the Vancouver, Yukon and Westminster Railroad up into Canadian territory that afternoon. Tilly had not known what address she would be living at when she'd written, only that the burlesque house where she was to be working with Mike and Lucia was near English Bay Beach, so I'd had no way of letting her know I was coming, 
and I was going to have to rely on my wits and a little detective work to locate her. I strolled out into Vancouver's downtown and headed west, occasionally asking directions to be sure I was still going the right way. Down at the far end of the long streets to my right, I caught regular glimpses of the harbour, with ships' masts occasionally visible above the traffic, and away to my left I could also see some sunlit stretches of sea, so I reckoned the city was occupying a fairly narrow strip of land. When I finally reached the English Bay Beach, I had to stop and push my hat back on my head, because it looked for all the world like I'd walked all the way to South End. A long wooden pier jutted out into the bay, and a promenade looked down onto a stretch of sand, dotted here and there with hardy spring bathers. A little way out into the water, there was a slide that fun-seekers could wade or swim out to, but although it was sunny, there was a nip in the air, and no one was clambering up onto it just then. I imagined Tilly coming across this place, how it would have reminded her of her childhood, and happy times helping her old man with his Punch and Judy stand. I'd met him once, years ago, when I went on a pilgrimage to Southend, trying to find Tilly, and I remembered the old chap saying, "'She were a fearsome crocodile!' Yes, if Tilly was in Vancouver, then she'd certainly have gravitated towards this part of it. I already felt a few butterflies fluttering by in the old stomach, as though I subconsciously knew she was near. I strolled across a lawn, past a bandstand, and then along onto the promenade. As I went, I took careful note of all the mothers or nannies with small children, all the perambulators and bassinets. How old was little Arthur now? Nine months? That sort of area, I reckoned. Now, did that mean he would be walking, or not yet? I realised how very little actual knowledge I had of small children, and the butterflies became a little more active. A bill poster caught my eye, advertising a burlesque house, and I took a little detour to seek it out. But the doors were still bolted, and there was no activity yet. I cut back to the beach and walked along to the end of the pier. Several more ladies were keeping a close eye on tiny charges, particularly as the railings were easily far enough apart to allow an adventurous toddler to take a header into the briny. I felt my insides clench at the very thought of such a mishap befalling little Arthur. There was no sign of Tilly there that I could see, so I leant on the railing and looked out across the bay. It dawned on me that there was no way that I would get back to Seattle that night, at the very least I was going to have to visit a burlesque or two, and by the time they opened for business the railroad would be closing down. I started to wonder whether I could possibly save a bob or two by sleeping rough, perhaps on this very beach or at the station. Was there a bench in that bandstand? Arthur! Arthur! A woman's voice was calling urgently, and I turned to see a determined little Lord Fauntleroy galloping at full tilt towards the end of the pier, a lollipop in his sticky hand. I set off after the little fellow and scooped him up just before he toppled off the edge, whirling him up, round and into my arms. "'Easy there,' I said, and my reward for my heroic intervention was a smack in the eye from the lollipop. Through the eye that wasn't stuck closed with fruity syrup, I could see a woman trotting along the pier towards us, still shouting, "'Arthur! Arthur!' It couldn't be, could it? I squinted at the little brute squirming in my arms, and after a moment I fancied I caught a glimpse of the sturdy jaw of my brother Lance, and then his eyes, yes, his eyes, were that green colour that had so captivated me those many moons ago, and his name, of course, his name was... Ow! I protested, wrenched from my reverie by a sudden pain in my upper arm. The woman had come right up to me and walloped me with her umbrella. Put him down, you brute! she shrieked, whacking me again, and the little lad wriggled free of my grasp, coming perilously close to toppling into the bay after all. But I was just... I protested. Stay away or I'll call a policeman. Where's his mother? I asked, taking another blow on the other arm. Mind your own business, the woman cried, yanking the boy back down the pier. 
He'd started to make a loud wailing noise, and several fishermen glared at me as though it was my fault. "'No good deed shall go unpunished, eh?' a voice behind me said. I turned, and suddenly, with a shock like a bucket of cold water to the face, there she was, as beautiful as ever, her golden curls tumbling out from under a sort of beret onto the shoulders of a dark coat, her green eyes wide and her mouth open in amazement. Mine fell open too, but no words came out as we stared at each other for a long moment. We must have looked quite a pair. Arthur Dando. It is you, isn't it? Whatever are you doing here? Looking for you, I said, as we fell into an embrace and I lost myself in her familiar perfume. Looking for you. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Chapter 11 won't you come, dear? First of all, Tilly said, turning away from me and leaning over a black bassinet, say hello to our son. I thought, well, his name seemed to be Arthur, and, oh, Arthur Dando, you are an idiot. That child was three if he was a day. She turned to face me again, this time with an infant in her arms. He was a red-faced little chap dressed in a bright blue sailor suit, even though he didn't seem to have had his land legs yet, never mind those of the sea variety, topped off with a similarly nautical sun hat. He had evidently just woken up, and had considerable quantities of drool oozing down his little red chin. And yes, I could see now, he was considerably younger than the rascal with the lollipop. "'What ho, Arthur?' I said, taking one tiny hand in mine and shaking it formally. "'Very pleased to see you again.' "'Actually,' Tilly began, "'we, that is to say, Mike, Lucia and me, have stopped calling him Arthur.' "'What? Why?' "'Well,' It's silly, really, but I called him Arthur when he was born to remind me of you, because I thought I shouldn't see you again. But then I did, and we seemed to be making plans, and so whenever I talked about you, we would have to call him Little Arthur, and you Big Arthur. And, well, he's not going to be little forever, is he? I suppose not. So we've got into the habit of calling him Wallace, which is his middle name. It's Scottish, from my mother's side. Wallace, I said, trying it out. I like that. Wallace. It sounds fierce. I picked the boy up and brought his face level with mine. "'What do you think, Wally?' "'Not Wally,' Tilly said sharply. "'Wallace.' "'So, 
Wallace he was from that point on. He began to wriggle in protest at being squinted at by a stranger, and I tried in vain to contain his limbs as I took him to my chest. The boy pressed his sodden chin against my neck, soaking my collar, and then began to wail with a noise that would have raised the dead. I can honestly say I'd never felt so awkward and frankly useless in my whole life to that point. Um, yes, maybe not, Tilly said, retrieving the bundle and magically cooing it back to a semblance of calm almost immediately. Then she laughed at the expression on my face, which was pitched somewhere between appalled and ashamed. Don't worry, she said, you'll get the hang of it. Now, tell me everything. The last thing I heard from you was before Christmas, when your cable said the Carners would be coming to Seattle with a new number one. Yes, well, I began, but she was full of questions. So Charlie has gone off to make moving pictures. Who'd have thought it? What a turn-up. Uh, that's right. And then, but the Carners aren't due in Seattle for another two months, or anyway, they weren't when I left there. You got my letter, the one I left at Considine's. I was going to send another nearer the time. I did, and if you'll get, let me get a word in edgeways, I'll explain. I'm sorry. Please. Thank you. So, first of all, in your own time, she butted in. I, whenever you're ready, it was, I can't wait to hear all about it. I held my hands up in defeat as she was clearly able to keep that particular joke going indefinitely. She smirked like a naughty schoolgirl, and once I was sure she wasn't planning to interrupt again, I brought her up to date. When Charlie left us, the company did get a new number one, I said. You? she mouthed, pointing a tentative finger. Actually, no, it was Stan. She nodded slowly at this, and no complaints, he deserved it. The trouble was, though, that the theatres were so stuck on Charlie Bloody Chaplin that they weren't happy with a mere understudy, and Considine insisted that the governor send a new lead comic from London. Oh, poor Stan, Tilly said, frowning at the unfairness of that. Well, you know Carno, he doesn't like being told what to do, and he sent a kid called Dan Rayner who really wasn't up to much. He and Considine fell out over it, and, long story short, the company got ordered home. Back to England? Really? Yes. Her face fell, and I could see that this was a blow. So much for your perfect little plan, then. The one where you return in triumph and sweep us off our feet and back into the fold. Oh, well. It was a nice idea while it lasted. Tilly turned to tuck little Wallace back into his baby carriage, and I could tell she was trying to hide how disappointed she was. I realised that she must have set at least some store by my scheme, and she'd had several months to mull it over. Well, about that, I said. What about it? Clearly you've left Carno, or else you'd be on your way back to the fun factory. I have, yes, you're right, and so has Stan and Freddy. I came to Seattle to find you, and they came with me, and along the way we've started to put together an act, and Considine is going to give us a go. Really? Really? I quickly explained the idea for the nutty burglars. Tilly looked puzzled. So who's playing the flirty maid? Well, you are, obviously, I cried. That's what I'm doing here. I've come to fetch you. Me? Yes, of course, who else? But... Don't you see? It'll be an opportunity to really show what you can do, how funny you can be. It wouldn't be like being in a Carno sketch, where the girls are basically just scenery. You'd be featured, front and centre. In fact, most of the comedy comes from you and Stan. It's just what you wanted, isn't it? A chance to shine. I expected her to be swept up in my excitement, but she turned without a word and began to push Wallace's baby carriage briskly along the pier towards the promenade. I trotted after her, trying to catch up. What? What's the matter? Oh, Arthur, you are infuriating. Just that one wire in all these months. That one line to pin all my hopes to. And now you turn up out of the clear blue sky and expect me to drop everything to join you on a crackpot new scheme that I'm just hearing about now. And it must be straight away, right this very minute. No time to think or plan. But I thought, you haven't even asked me what I've been doing. 
Well, you said, in your letter, didn't you? I've been living here with Mike and Lucia, helping run a little burlesque house. It's not much, but it's steady at least, and Wallace loves them. How am I going to bring up a child on tour? I'll be there, and Stan and Freddy will help out. You know they will. It is a full-time job, you know, not just something you can busk as you go along. Bringing a baby onto the Carno boxcar would have been one thing. At least there would have been the other girls in the company to help me out, Amy and Wren and the others. But you want me to throw in my lot with three chumps who like nothing more than going out for a beer or five after a show and bring a ten-month-old boy along for the ride? Wait, chumps? You know, you could just as easily come and live here in Vancouver with us, work at the burlesque house. But uh, I couldn't let Stan and Freddy down. But I could let Mike and Lucia down, you mean, after all they've done for me. I stopped walking after her and let her stride ahead. Then I massaged my forehead with my knuckles. I had spent weeks, months, imagining this reunion with Tilly and the baby, and always it ended up with us embarking on a new phase of our lives together. This resistance from her, this anger, took me aback. Surely she wasn't serious about staying here, was she? In this place that was so very similar to her hometown, with good friends who had stood by her through thick and thin for the last couple of years. Actually, when I put it like that, it was pretty obvious what Tilly was thinking. I felt a great confusion pressing down on me all of a sudden, and I felt a pang of longing for a drink, several drinks, and then a few more, to rinse it away. I looked up and saw that Tilly had stopped walking too and was standing with her back to me a little way ahead, tapping her fingers on the handle of Wallace's conveyance. I took a deep breath and walked slowly up alongside. "'You'll come and see Mike and Lucia, of course?' I nodded, and we walked along in a silence broken only by a little squeak on one of the bassinet's wheels, and I wondered, did I have my answer?' Tilly took me to the whitewashed clapboard house that she was living in with good old Mike Asher and Lucia, his highly emotional Latin wife. The two of them were thrilled to see me, and clasped my hand with manly enthusiasm, and clasped me suffocatingly to her ample bosom, respectively. "'Good heavens!' Mike grinned, still shaking his head with disbelief. "'Arthur Dando! Where have you been? Tell me all! Spare no detail, however small!' So the four of us sat on their veranda, Tilly gently bouncing the little lad on her knee, looking out over the bay. I had to admit they'd found a very pleasant spot, particularly as the sun set, lighting up the clouds orange as it boiled over the horizon, and it seemed less and less likely that Tilly would be able to tear herself away— with a somewhat heavy heart, I brought my friends up to date with the collapse of the Carnot tour after the departure of Charlie Chaplin. Yes, Mike said, we saw a little notice in Variety, didn't we, Lou? Saying that he was going to be working for someone called... Oh, what was it? Max Sennett, I filled in. So, what will you do next? There was a pause then, a moment. I looked at Tilly and she looked at me, and between us it seemed we silently agreed that she would speak. Stan and Freddy are in Seattle, she said, and the boys have come up with an act, and Considine is going to give them a start. Well, that's excellent, Mike beamed, and Lucia leaned over and embraced me again. The thing is, Tilly became tentative, they want me to throw in with them and bring Wallace too, but I don't want to let you down, you've been so kind and I owe you so much. Nonsense, Mike cried, it is we who are in your debt. You know she has devised some terrific comedy bits for our burlesques, he said, turning to me. She's really helped us get our new place up and running, hasn't she, Lou? Chess, Lucia agreed fervently, pronouncing the word yes like chess. But, but, Tilly prompted with a small frown. My dear, my darling, Lucia said, reaching over and taking both of Tilly's hands in hers. 
I see the look in your eye when you see the girls and they performing on the stage. You should be there in the centre, the brightest of all. Oh, sweetheart, that's very nice of you, but the baby. Exactly, the baby, the baby. You cannot perform a whole evening of burlesque late into the night with a baby, but a little sketch. Lou's right, you know, Mike said, tapping his chin with his forefinger. If you were on the road with the boys, you'd really only need to have someone watch Wallace for twenty minutes at a go while you were on the stage. And I'm sure Stan and Fred would pitch in the rest of the time. Eh, Arthur? Absolutely, I said, and then held my breath. Tilly turned to look at me. Our eyes met. It does sound exciting, though, she said. And then she smiled. To be precise, she smiled the smile that has lit up my life ever since we first met back at the fun factory. I reached for her, and she gaily flung her arms around my neck. "'We will always be here. You can come back any time,' Mike said, chucking Wallace under the chin. "'And you can bring your mummy too, if you like.' It was too late to travel to Seattle that evening, of course, so I stayed the night at the Ashes' little clapboard home. Mike had been mustard-keen for us to celebrate our new start down at the burlesque house where he and Lucia were the new management team, but of course the baby had to be bedded down, so after taking a quick look around and indulging in a swift half-bottle of champers, Tilly and I made our way back early. I felt a cold chill of anxiety curling around my guts as I pushed the baby carriage through the darkening streets, wondering what I was letting myself in for, but that all disappeared once Wallace had nodded off, and Tilly and I realised we had the place to ourselves for at least the next few hours. We had plenty of lost time to make up, and we did our very best. 